We're back. It's Tim, Jeremy, and Aaron from the NPO Sports Podcast. Sorry, I'm a bit tongue-tied there. What have you been up to, boys? Oh, nothing, nothing much, mate. Just, uh, just uh, watching, trying to get my head around the plethora of sport that's on now compared to a week ago, or even a couple of weeks ago. It's a bit too much to handle. Bit of a smorgasbord. There is. It's never too much to handle. It's a good thing. There's more sports that have come back. There's more to come back. So let's just get excited and get into it, I think. What about you, Woody? Nah, just work and family stuff. There's really not much else to do. Work, family, and watch as much sport as I can. Um, Have you been having much fun on social media just before we hop into the rest of the show? Well, we always have fun Um, on social media. Well, we do, and we've actually been getting some good interactions from our um, <clears throat> podcast pages as well on both Facebook and Twitter. So the more of that that comes in, I think the better the better it is. Sounds good. Um, you don't want to throw out a cheerio to anyone on social media at all? No? We're right to go? Let's just get into it. No worries. All right. First subject for tonight's podcast is the AFL return. So... We might throw it over to Jez to start off. Go, Jez. Well, it's a it's a bit of a it's it's turned into organised chaos, really, into um, into a bit of a mess, and I I think mainly because Victoria is starting to get a bit of a spike in COVID cases. So even though we're a bit unknown of what's going to happen in the future to begin with, and I think now we're even more in the dark. Uh, they come up with. I come up with a couple of play, a couple of teams going to WA for a hub um, and things like that. But even even as much as a few days down the track, you really don't know. Something could hit us. Uh, it's just we're all on hit, we're all on tender hooks at the moment. Yeah, you're not going to know day to day, week to week what's going to happen. So I think with the AFL just announcing their fixtures four weeks in advance and sending teams off into hubs for a month. I think that's the best way to do it. And getting teams out of Victoria at the moment is probably the most ideal situation as well. Yeah, but um, I I do think um, the Essendon saga um, just this week with the positive COVID-19 testing um, could be a showing of the times. It might be just the first of a million dominoes falling down in the AFL, I think. You're probably you're probably right, but um, yeah, it was a positive test. It ended up being a negative test. So, uh, pardon the pun, but we better take the positives out of that, and um, and not blame Essendon too much. I think it could have been a lot worse. He could have given it to a whole lot of his teammates. Uh, thankfully, thankfully he didn't, and we still they're still able to play, and we still have a season. But um, in terms of in terms of the footy that's been on. Um, it, we, we'll, we'll touch later on the quality of football, but do, do you guys, re, I'll ask both of you, do you guys really sort of hang your hats on any results this year? Well, look. But, take that one, Tim. Yeah, look, being a success-starved um, fan of um, a football club, I was in, so far of the two games back, I was very impressed with the style of football that the coach put um, into the, players' heads and got them playing. It looked free-flowing. It was probably the, nearly the game of the round to watch. But then it's it's almost like a 
bag of mixed lollies. You don't know what you're going to pull out of the brown paper bag because then the following week, it was like a Jekyll Hyde scenario. And I think that might be the way the season's going to play out. You'll have a couple of good games and those teams will play crap the next week because of the quick turnaround, the lack of preparation they normally have. Uh, you know, that, that seems to be what's happening. Um, the great Richmond team, very flat. Um, are they... Are they just struggling with coping with the current situation? I don't know, but uh, they have been very, very flat and very ordinary. Well, what do you think? I think most teams. Yes. Woody, Woody's team, if you want to, if you want to touch on it, Woody, uh, very much like the Jekyll and Hyde we're talking about. Also, well, the, the team you played, which is uh, my mob as well. Yeah, but I'll go back to what Tim said before about you know the Jekyll and Hyde thing. I think we're just going to have to get used to that because the. There's no consistency in preparation either. So I think teams are going to be up and they're going to be down. So the stories week to week on each team are going to be a lot different. Um, so you look at yeah. look at Carlton, for example. Um, you know, give Melbourne a seven-goal head start and then work their way back into it. And then they, they got a seven-goal lead against Geelong and almost Geelong almost stole it at the end, which probably wouldn't have been fair, but... Um, it's good signs for Carlton fans, though, to see that they can produce some good footy like that. Um, well, in the, in Levi, the first quarter, they played pretty much flawless footy. Um, I think they did, they were, yeah. And yeah, they were moving the ball up. They were just hitting targets and getting the ball up the field. It, it, everything they kicked hit a target, and um, not many teams would counter that very well. I must say though, no, Levi Casbolt, Levi Casbolt was a big reason for that too. He was he was everywhere from what I from what I could gather. Yeah, um, Geelong had Geelong had four contested marks for the game, and Levi had nine. Yeah, well, I was going to say, guys, on that Carlton game, a question for Woody would be: Did Carlton in the Geelong game overcompensate for the slow starts for the they've had? Right. Well, at least the first round back against Melbourne and then died in the last quarter? Um, I don't think so. I just think it's typical of Carlton to not play four quarters of footy. If you look in the first two games, the one against Richmond, the one against Melbourne, we gave them both starts and then played <laughs> three quarters of pretty decent footy. But against Geelong, obviously the focus was to get out of the gates well, but they still only put three quarters of footy together and were almost gave the game up and were almost lucky in the end to escape with the four points. Yeah. Nah, well, look, end of the day, Eddie Betts has um, probably earned his money by that last tackle that many say it probably won the games. But uh, there you oh, go. Oh, probably did. Um, any other games or stories that caught your guys' interest? Well, for me, I believe Essendon saved us from an absolute debacle in the Melbourne Football Club. Seriously. Um, I think they saved us the pain of having to watch them again because the game against you guys, they were great for a half and did what you guys did, but it was reversed. Absolute shocking. No wonder their supporters go to the snow every bloody winter. Who'd want to watch that crap dished up all the time? Yeah, anyway, uh, thanks for thanks for rolling up all the Melbourne players this week for playing Geelong, Tim. I appreciate it. Now they're going to come out and just now they're just going to come out on fire and just uh, belt us by about ten goals because they listen to our pod. So absolutely. I actually think Geelong are going to come out hard after dropping a game at home to a very lowly side. They would have been expected to win. I think um, Geelong are in for a big win this week. 
look, sometimes it's better off losing those games and winning them because you learn a lot more when you when you drop your colours. Um, had they won that game, they probably we would have just papered over some of the cracks. So um, I thought it would have been highway robbery, and I would have felt sorry for Carlton had they actually won that had Geelong actually won that game. Talk about um, other games, Jeremy. Um, I believe. Oh, yes. Sorry, I believe there was. I believe there's been a few Hawthorne supporters a bit sensitive and letting people know that they uh, won a game of football. Mm, they're up and about, aren't they? But, uh, we won't spend too much time on Hawthorne. We don't want to do that in this pod. Um, there's I enough pods on, for them. I, I will touch on the Saints. <laughs> um, I will touch on the Saints. I'm going to give them a pass because I reckon they just played a really, really good opposition and they wanted to see where they were at. And they, that's a very good measuring stick for them going forward for the season. Yeah, look, yeah, I think they tried. Collingwood and Collingwood and Brisbane, I think, are setting themselves ahead of the rest at the moment. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest surprise packet is Gold Coast. I think they're definitely worth mentioning. Them and Matty Rao. Geez, they've been good. Yeah, yeah super, they're almost superstars now. If he, Rao keeps going, he could get three votes in a lot of games. I'm just they saying. could have six already. Mm-hmm. All right, well, on a lighter note, we'll move on. Um, I think we've had a bit of a chat there about the AFL so far. We'll move on. The EPL has returned and there's been some interesting um, things going on. In fact, there was a game that I believe Aaron may have made a couple of predictions for this round, of which he got both wrong, might I say, um, and I may have got both right. Now, one of them in particular was a one was it a, a nil all draw. It could have been a one nil. Do you want to discuss that a bit, Aaron? Well, I think as most round ball games would know, um, they would have seen it in the Sheffield United and Villa game, which was actually the first game back from from the break. Um, Sheffield United were robbed. They they had a free kick, swung it into the box. The head has gone in. The keeper's spilt it on the line. The defender has bumped into the keeper. He's fallen into the net. Um, and for some reason... The goal wasn't paid. The ball was clearly over the line. Um, the referee and the assistant referee said that they didn't pay it because their watches didn't vibrate, which is what they're meant to do when the ball crosses the line. But to me, what that says is they're just relying on the um, technology to make the decisions for them, and they're not really watching the game themselves. And that's really not good enough because the linesman had a perfect unimpeded view as well. Where was VAR? At that level... Exactly right. They're relying too much on the technology to make decisions for them and not watching them. You didn't even need VAR for that. It was clearly over the line. Yeah, t- moving on, um, uh, Manion, talking about the table, Man United are on a bit of a roll. They're undefeated in, I think, their last 10, if I'm not... Yeah, since, the, since we've come back from the break, they've had a win and a draw. So they're making a bit of a run for the top four. Um, and uh, by the way, tomorrow night, Tim will be barracking for Manchester City and I will be barracking for Chelsea. I'm just glad we're doing this pod tonight and not tomorrow night because if Man City fail to beat Chelsea, Liverpool become champions and Jez would just about be unbearable. Yeah, Uh, exactly. Well, I had to actually ask Jeremy the question um, on um, our little messenger group. Um, the big question, was he alive last time they won a um, league title? Um, which he promptly 
answered yes, but he didn't tell us how old he was. What were you, two, three, four? Um, I wasn't a yeah. I was a bit. I was a bit of a spring chicken. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, they, when they last won their league title, which was the English First Division, correct. Then, which is uh, which is why um, which is why us <laughs> Liverpool supporters are so up and about because it's been a while. That's right. Been and a very long time between drinks. And technically, you're a bridesmaid to winning an EPL title if you sort of separate them from the actual Division 1, the old English yeah, Division 1. Yeah, that's our, that's our motto, always next year. So yeah, there's one slip-up that comes to mind. Yeah, that's a, a literal <laughs> slip-up, which I don't like that's very right. much. Um, the, biggest, the biggest thing to come out of um, all this restart, obviously, we knew that the top of the table, like Liverpool had this title sewn up for a long time. It's just a matter of formalities now. Um, there's a little bit of interest um, in the fourth Champions League spot, which Chelsea should be the favourites for. They've got a, um, a small lead there and a game in hand, so they should be able to hold on to that, I would have thought. And, but Woody, do you um, have to finish fourth? Outside, probably miss out. Woody, do you have well, to finish fourth? Well, why wouldn't you? There's aren't, only there four sanctions, aren't there sec- sanctions against City? Let's see if they actually enforce those. Eh? They've done that. They've said that about Barcelona a couple of times and never actually enforced it. So, yeah, I'm going to take that. Who knows what will happen? Yeah, but, it's, but it the, wasn't, the real wasn't interest, even FIFA though, it was actually the um, EPL were um, enforcing it, not. I don't know that they actually will follow through. But for me, the biggest interest anyway is at the bottom of the table. Have you guys had a look at that? Yes, uh, I would. Norwich City, well, they're on their way yeah, here. Got- Villa up to Watford. It's a pretty hot race. Absolutely, it is. I think Brighton are safe. The, the win yes. over Arsenal that they yeah. got, I think that almost guarantees their safety. Yeah, I think I think they're in. Yeah. And, and how the... good was it to see Liverpool uh, Arsenal lose to a ninety fifth minute winner? After, so after, good. after leading after leading one nil, it's just uh, that's right. It was just uh, terrible to watch, wasn't it? There's, Talk about there's nothing like that club. to brighten your day. Mm. Talk about a poor man's club, a club that think they're in a bit but have never really done it like the top couple. Arsenal Arsenal are uh, wallowing in 11th, by the way. They're definitely not a top side anymore, are they? No. Those days are long gone. But I think that was a lot to do with um, Unai Emery when he came in. He bought some horrible players. I think he brought in um, Mustafi for about 35 million and you wouldn't pay 3.5 for him and David Luiz is horrible. Well, if you get on get on YouTube just get, and get a chance you know, to, and have a look at Arsenal Fan TV. It's the, one of the most entertaining things you'll see on YouTube. It's fantastic. Do, do a lose. Yeah, I've seen a couple of them before. They get a bit emotional, do they? Uh, Very you could much say. so. Put it, to put it mildly, they, uh, yeah, they don't mind voicing their opinion. Well, from um, a certain movie I've seen many moons ago, um, based on the firms, I would stay stay away from um, West Ham. I reckon they'd be even more feral. Um, what are the What are the games coming up? Oh, well, I haven't well, looked tomorrow, actually. Uh, to, what's tomorrow? Tomorrow night again, Woody. Tomorrow or, morning. Or, tomorrow, five, oh, tomorrow morning. Yeah. Five fifteen kickoff our time. I'll oh, have the alarm set for that one. Uh, also, Burnley, Watford, uh, Southampton, and Arsenal. Um, it's, it's, there is they're nothing games, though, really. They're, they're yeah, nothing games, so they're all 
They're all mid-table. No one can no one can push for a European spot. None of them can get relegated. Yeah. They're meaningless games, really. Meaningless games. Um, there's only one game on Saturday, uh, Villa and Wolves, and, it, and there's no games on Sunday. And uh, I think we're all just fluffing the season until until Liverpool <coughs> get the chocolates and we see who goes down. Well, who do you think will go down? Because as we said, Norwich are well behind, so they're going to go down. Yeah, and down. then it's out. Then it's two of Watford, West Ham, Bournemouth, and Villa. Who do you reckon is going to go down? I want to tell you what. It would not. It would not surprise me to see West Ham actually go down. Yeah, my money would be on Villa and West Ham at the moment. Yep. Uh, Bournemouth can sneak. Can probably get a couple of sneaky wins. They are playing the Bunnies, uh, Arsenal. Well, <laughs> that's right. So they're, they're, they're a big chance of getting some points tomorrow. Yeah, so and if you look at the four teams that are in the relegation fight with Watford, West Ham, Bournemouth and Villa, I think Watford and Bournemouth are actually the better sides. And I'm actually surprised that they're down so low in the table. Yeah, well, Watford gave Liverpool a nice touch-up. Yeah, they did. Oh, well, you can't win them all. You've won, you've won enough this year, if you ask me. Yeah, I'll take it. Exactly. Well, it might be a and good time. If we, if we look, time. At, um, Sorry. look at the teams that are going down, um, looks like Leeds are coming back up too. Yeah, they're, so they're, back up. They're, um, they're right in the mix to get one of those um, automatic promotions. So that'll be really good to see them back in. Because yeah, um, it's been long a long time, time for them. That club. Mm. And oh, they're a massive club anyway, but yep. they've been down for a long time. And I think any neutral fan or any fan of any club would actually be happy to see them back. True. And look, you stole what I was trying to say. I was actually going to say what's looking at coming up. So thanks for that one, Aaron. All right. So we'll move on. And we're going to have a bit of a discussion around the old UFC. And we might start that off with the old DC versus Stipe that was um, booked in very recently. And what are your thoughts on that one, Aaron? Looking forward to it? I actually am. It's the fight that makes the most sense for Stipe Miocic. Um, it's a rubber match. It's one all. And regardless of which way this pans out and who wins, I think both of them could actually retire after this. So it'll be interesting to actually see what comes of the heavyweight division after this fight. It's still um, a while away. It's not not until August 13th at UFC 252. But I I don't know what to expect because we've seen in the first fight that DC's got that power to knock Stipe out, but I think Stipe's the more clinical striker um, and he picked him apart in the second fight. So it'd be interesting to see if either of them adapt similar game plans to the first two fights and see what they've actually learned from each other. I guess too, um, DC does have that secret move that he doesn't necessarily get warned by the referee quite often with the eye poke, which he used successfully in the first fight. Um, but <laughs> I, I guess um, he'd be looking to probably get Stipe um, on the ground, wouldn't he? And wrestling and dry, dry, you know, intercourse with him for five rounds. And surprisingly, because <clears throat> that's DC's strength, obviously. Surprisingly, in the first two fights, we didn't really see any of that. So it's probably an ace that he could have up his sleeve if he tries to use that. Um, I think because Stipe, his, his defence is good. His um, takedown defence is good. But 
if he does get taken down, I'm not convinced he'll be able to get back up. He'll take a fair bit of punishment <clears throat> on the ground, I reckon. Well, you're talking about one of the um, best grapplers in the whole UFC, if he gets him down, aren't we, really? Oh, yeah, definitely. He's he's no slouch, DC, when it comes to the grappling and um, the ground and pound. And he, he's got the, move, the skills to pull off submissions as well. And we haven't really seen anyone try and submit Stipe. Um, so when, I don't really know what his, his um, submission defense is like. Um, I know with a lot of fighters, people go on about, you know, he's a brown belt in jiu-jitsu and he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu or whatever. But when it comes to MMA, jiu-jitsu is a different game as well. And DC is actually quite good at it. Yeah. Can I throw a, uh, can I throw a layman's question in? Uh, the winner between Stipe and DC, um, if they would have a, if they would have a trilogy, would the winner of that trilogy probably be the greatest heavyweight to ever grace a canvas? Now, for one, this is the trilogy fight. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say they would. A lot of people would say that Fedor Emelianenko is the greatest of all time anyway, regardless of weight division. But if we're talking just purely UFC, I think you'd almost have to. Because it's been a... No one's really dominated that division. I I would argue, um, prior to injury, that Kane Velasquez would have taken care of both those guys. I would argue prior to injury... Oh, sorry, not prior to injury. If he never had that injury... Because um, the doom took the belt off him, but that's when the injuries started. If he if he was injuries free his whole career, he'd probably still have the belt. Yeah, and I was going to say with that the doom fight, that was the one in Brazil. Yeah, oh, I'm not sure where it was. It was, it was it, but, I think it was in the doom's um, country. Yeah, it could have been. I'm not yeah. exactly sure. I think that, you might be right. Actually, I, but... I think that's the one where didn't Velasquez take the fight on short notice and he was underdone. First fight yeah, back he, in he short a, notice. Yeah, he had a lot of injury concerns as well. But, yeah, that was the start of the downfall to him. But it's a shame that he had those injuries because we could have um, witnessed a really special heavyweight if he had been active the last four or five years. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and look what he did to Junior De Santos. Um, Junior won one fight. And, then, um, and that was probably more of a mistake from Velasquez than anything. I don't think it was actually... Um, there was a lot of luck in it, more so than normal, I would have thought, with that result. And then in the rematch, he just about put the guy in the coffin. That's how, what a beast he is. And also, if you think back when he won the title off um, everyone's favourite um, sports entertainment wrestler, um, Mr. Brock Lesnar, he absolutely carved him up and made him look like a B-I-T-C-H. Anyway... We'd better move on to a bit more UFC. Um, Now, there's been a bit of question around fighters' pays, and in particular, Jones and Gray Maynard are in the mix of that discussion. This has been a bugbear of mine for a long time with the UFC. Um, They're a multi-billion dollar company, and the disparity in pay between the best and the worst is a joke. And it's the same as any industry. The better you are, the more you're going to get paid. The higher up you are, the more you're going to get paid. But if you look at what Conor McGregor gets, he gets 4 or $5 million a fight. 
which is fine. That He's the biggest star. He brings in the most money. He deserves the most money. But the blokes at the bottom end get $12,000 a fight at a minimum. Um, and the UFC mark themselves as the world's biggest and best professional mixed martial arts organization in the world. But how can you call yourself that when you're not even paying blokes enough to live off and your contracts that you give the fighters don't allow them to go and make money elsewhere. And I guess they're, if they're you're holding them for ransom. Yeah. I was going to say, Woody, I guess if you're at the bottom end of the card, one of these guys winning 12, you know, getting 12 grand for your fight, you could be bloody um, suspended for six months because of um, health reasons after the fight. So you're pretty much, you're right. You're pretty much on the dole. And it's not just that though. Like, so most fighters will go into a fight camp six to eight weeks out from the fight. So they put their life on hold. Their bills pile up. They've still got to pay their fight camp, um, which normally take 10%. Their, their managers or whatever will take probably 5% as well. So straight away, you're out a couple of grand. By the time you back pay all your bills, you put your life on hold for six to eight weeks to fight in the UFC, and you're probably further in debt than when you started. Okay. It's, it's really not good enough. And then you look at Gray Maynard. He's been very vocal on Twitter about this sort of stuff. And a lot of UFC fans will remember his second fight with Frankie Edgar, um, which was for a title. Um, one of the best lightweight fights we've ever seen. Gray Maynard's the challenger. The fight ends in a draw. And Gray Maynard walks away with $26,000. He got paid his um, win money as well, which bunted up to 52. But you're, you're only guaranteeing someone $26,000 for a title fight. That is ridiculous. Exactly. Uh, we better move on to quickly wind up this section. Uh, Jones um, saying, take the belt. Bye-bye. What, what do you think of that? Um, much the same with him is what I'll say about Masvidal angling for a release from his contract and Conor McGregor announcing more retirements than John Farnham. Um, they're just angling for more money in their next next deals. That's all that's about. Awesome. And quickly, there's some fights this weekend. What's the pick of them? Um, there's really only two fights that really interest me off the bat. That's Mickey Gall and Mike Perry. Um, I'll probably take Mickey Gall in that. And then the main event of the card is Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker. I don't ever want to pick a winner for that fight because I love them both. Um, and it's going to be a great fight. And I honestly don't know who to pick. Now, Woody, is that pay-per-view or is that fight night? No, that's just a fight night card. Yep. So basically, viewers, you can actually catch them. Is it Saturday, Sunday, Sunday afternoon? Uh, it'll be Sunday our time. They no, I'm not sure of the exact time, but they normally the main card normally starts about midday. On ESPN. It'll be on ESPN, yeah. yeah. No worries. All right. So I think it's just watching you two guys um, having beverages while I'm sitting here with none. I think it's a good time for us to have a quick break, refuel and get back to it. So we'll see you on the other side of the break. Yeah.
we're back after the break now. It's my turn to host this one because, let's be honest, I know uh, five-eighths of bugger all about, uh, about UFC. UFC. However, the boys are going to give you their Mount Rushmore. For those of you who don't know Mount Rushmore, it's a mountain in, uh, I think it's in Montana in the USA, and it's got the faces of four presidents on it. Um, and it's used, used in the sporting vernacular. Because, I don't know, you, you try and think of the four greatest in your sport, uh, which is going to be a common theme coming up on the pod. And we're just going to give our Mount Rushmore's, which is who, who we believe should be on Mount Rushmore if they were one, if there were one in this particular sport. Now, of course, uh, the, the reason I'm hosting is because I know bugger all about UFC, so we're going to do the UFC Mount Rushmore. Now, I'll start by giving you mine, my very... My very, my very unbiased, uh, unclouded opinion, basically, basically because, like I said, I know bugger all. So I'm going to start off. I'm going to go for Silver, St. Pierre, Jones, and Aldo. So there you go. Boys, over to you, and uh, I hope yours is as good as mine. You want to go first, well, Woody? Or, um... I think I will, but look, Jez hasn't done too bad with his, really. Like, if you're just sort of factoring in the last 10 years, you can make a case for all of them. But anyway, I'll move on to mine. Now, I'm hoping I've gone down a completely different path to Tim with mine and used a different formula. Um, so what I've decided to do is pick the four guys that I think have had an influence on their projection or the direction that the UFC um, was at the time and then sort of how they redirected it. Um, to do that, we have to start with UFC 1. And if you're going to start with UFC 1, you have to say Hoist Gracie. No one knew what Jiu-Jitsu was before 1993, really, <clears throat> and he thrust it into the spotlight. Um, if you don't know Jiu-Jitsu, there's no point even trying MMA now. Um, that That's how influential... Hoist Gracie was. Um, he comes from the Gracie family, obviously. Um, the biggest family in jiu-jitsu. The reason that he was picked for UFC 1 was, wasn't because he was the best or the most talented in the family. It was because he was not as talented as the others and not as committed as the others. <laughs> and Helio Gracie wanted to show the world what jiu-jitsu could do. So he thought he would send out um, one of the one of his sons that wasn't the best. Um, from there, I'm gonna go with Randy Couture. Um, once the UFC gained a little bit of traction, um, there was fighters were still one dimensional in what they could do, and Randy Couture, I believe, was probably the first one that really dedicated himself to a professional training regime and also brought in a mix of different martial arts to his game. He was a high-level wrestler, and his boxing was actually pretty crisp for the time as well. And his influence back then still continues today because his fighting style, mixing the wrestling game with a striking game, is still probably the most successful one. From there, I'm going to go with Ronda Rousey. She was probably the first really big mainstream star. She made it 
onto ESPN and the covers of various different magazines. She was the first really big star. She she thrust them right into the middle of mainstream and probably brought in a lot more fans than would have before. And she also kick-started the women's division. Then, unfortunately, for the last one, I'm going to have to say Conor McGregor. He's the biggest star. He brings in the most money. He brings in the most fans. Um, And really, at the end of the day, they're a business. They rely on money. And he brings in more than anyone else. That's all I've got. It's off to yours, Tim. Yeah, well, I must say on the Ronda one, I'd take Gina every day of the week. But anyway. (laughs) Now, um, my Mount Rushmore. I um, decided I would do my George Washington first, as in the best. And there is no one else ever to grace UFC or mixed martial arts than this man, um, GSP. He is, like, phenomenal. He had 26 wins and only two losses. Of his wins, eight were KOs, six were submission, and to me, what really says how skillful this man was, 12 by decision. Because this guy could actually fight the five rounds and just dissect another fighter and just know he's going to comfortably win every round by, you know, without even much effort. He lost twice. You just got to look at the Koscheck fight too. <clears throat> look at his fight with Josh Koscheck. That was just clinical from start to finish. Yeah, exactly. And look, look. Well, let's look at his losses for a sec, right? He had um, a loss to Matt Sierra, um, and that was, um, I think, um, an early. I think that was the KO loss by memory. Um, yeah, it was. Yep. But in the rematch, second round, he absolutely pommeled Sierra. Sierra. Uh, and then, then the other loss was Matt Hughes in the rematch. And I think it was a submission he lost to Matt Hughes. Um, in the rematch, he absolutely pummeled him in the second round. So I, I, I think it's fair to say on his career that um, he may have just had elapsed those two fights because he absolutely destroyed the guys in the next ones. Like, there wasn't even a close close game. And also another reason why he's the GOAT for me, he started in 2002 um, he had a break, uh, I think it was about 2013 for four years, came back in 2017 and won the title off Bispin after a four-year hiatus. So, um, hiatus, sorry, hiatus, hiatus. Um, so, to me, that's phenomenal. My next guy is a guy that I, <clears throat> I, I believe, you look at his record, he's back in the day of open-hand hits, and that's Bass Rutten. Um he had 28 wins and four losses. What I do like about his loss um, line is he never got knocked out. Yes, he got submitted three times. The other one was the decision, but never got knocked out. So obviously his defense was good enough not to get knocked out, you might say. Um, he had 11 KOs, 14 submissions himself, and three decisions. And that guy, seriously, is an awesome ambassador for mixed martial arts. He's just oozing character. He's now got a movie career somewhat, you know, sort of character actors, that sort of stuff. The other guy I've got, uh, sorry, Bass actually was from 93 to 2006, so he meets that longevity thing. Um, we're looking at Dan Severin. He, he uh, fought between 1994 and 2012. He had 101 wins, 19 losses, of which were three KOs, nine submissions, and seven 
decisions and the fourth and seven draws as well. Um, many may know Dan Severin from when he was in the WWE as Dan the Beast Severin. And my final Mount Rushmore, and this is probably the first guy to be the real sort of rock and roll star of mixed martial arts, and that is Chuck Liddell. Um, he had 21 wins, 13 by KO, one by submission, and seven by decision. Yes, he lost nine by KO, but he was one of these guys he fought on the edge every time. So he's always going to be a you know an even money shot of getting hit. Um, and he, him for longevity as well. He was from 1998 to 2018. And let's just wipe out 2018. He never should have come back and fought against uh, the uh, the beat, the bad Beach Boy. What's he call himself these days? Jenna Jamison's ex. The Huntington Beach bad boy, Tito Ortiz. That's it. And I think he's better known for being Jen, Jenna's ex. Anyway, it's. Um, I think that's covered. Uh, our um, Mount Rushmore. Get on social media and um, tell us what you think. If you're a mixed martial arts fan, we know Woody was probably a little bit more clinical on his um, decisions, but we'll, we'll debate that another time. All right, now it's time to move on a bit of AEW and WWE, um, in which I'll throw to Jez to start off the discussion. Well, you were, uh, well I heard you saying before that uh, AEW were getting a famous, is getting a famous face in, Tim. Who might that be? Well, not get in. He's been in. And that would be Iron Mike Tyson, which is almost Groundhog Day from that Attitude Era when uh, he came into the WWE or WWF back then as an enforcer for the Stone Cold versus Shawn Michaels for the title. Well, this is a very... It is a very Vince McMahon thing to do because he's been doing it since the dawn of time. Is getting people, getting famous people in from uh, from mainstream mainstream America to really bump up their shows, and uh, uh, and by all accounts, that that sort of strategy does work. It gets eyeballs on the screen, so um, it would be foolhardy for the AEW not to try something similar if they want to get people from outside of that wrestling genre. Uh, watching some of their shows, so you can say it's, you can say it's copycat and doing what the WWE does, but I really think they'd be silly not to if they want to get exposure, particularly exposure to people that um, are just casual wrestling fans or, uh, or or not at all. Yeah, no fair call. And um, to be honest, they also utilised him after the pay per view at Dynamite, and in fact angled him to have a bit of a disagreement with Chris Jericho. And I think that's a very smart move, considering I believe Chris Jericho currently would be the best um, sports entertainment talent at the moment going around. Well, he, he's the most he's the most well known name in AEW, but he's also I think in um, professional wrestling probably the best talent getting around, even though he's forty nine years old, because the guy knows how to work. I think there's quite a few that don't have any charisma that um, probably are good workers. Um, but for me, Chris Jericho, good worker, um, great creativity in his brain as far as storylines because he does have that option to contribute at AEW. And, yeah, the, the man's actually got charisma as well and there's no other guy, I don't think, in professional wrestling you hate more if you don't like the bad guy. Oh, yeah, he's doing, doing his job well as a heel. He also, he's also very, very good at reinventing himself. 
um, not sticking to the same old gimmick every, every time. He's, he's, he knows when to change it up a bit, which is which is which is another pleasing aspect of his um, of his persona. Correct. So taking that aside, I've heard. Well, I read earlier on in the week. It might have been late last week, even. Um, that unfortunately, Edge, after a nine-year layoff and making a big comeback after that neck injury, is going to be laid off again. Do you know much about that, Jez? Well, I know he's done a pectoral muscle. It's uh, similar to what um, Triple H did when he, uh, I think when he was either here or uh, Saudi Arabia was in a match. He um, might have been here. Um, he, uh, he was falling outside of the ropes and he tore his pectoral muscle. Now, that sort of thing requires surgery. So Edge is going to be out for some time. Um, not such a bad thing. Uh, I, I believe with a, with a name like Edge, sometimes it can be less is more. Like if you see, if you end up seeing him week in and week out, he loses a bit of his luster. I think for a bloke who's coming back to part-time wrestling, it might might not be such a bad thing to see him off our screens for a while. Then he can make a big make a big comeback, and hopefully by then there'll be some crowds available. And whatnot, but so it's, it's not the worst thing in the world, um, and it's not the worst. Certainly not the worst thing in the world that he hasn't re-injured his neck, which is the reason why he was out for nine years in the first place. Correct. And look, according to, according to Eric uh, Bishop's favourite analyst slash sort of journo in professional wrestling, Dave Meltzer, he's saying six to nine months. So look, end of the day, we might see him around about what about March next year, maybe. Which, um, yeah, yeah, something like that. I mean, and that might be good for him, especially considering I think he's approaching 50 anyway. So a bit of a rest won't hurt him. Now, <coughs> excuse me, the other thing in wrestling um, this week is something from four years ago regarding another AEW star, so they say, but I actually think he's a glorified jobber, um, Sammy Guevara. Now, apparently... Four years ago, he was at the WWE. Um, I'm not sure if he's trialling or what he was doing, but he was watching Sasha Banks, and he's been quoted as to saying, bro, Sasha Banks, oh, my God. When I was at the WWE the other week, I wanted to just go and rape that woman. Now, that was four years ago, and at the moment he's suspended until further notice by the AEW until their integrity committee, I think it is, um, look over it. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, yeah, I, I think we're all in agreement that the comment was pretty unsavoury. I don't think that's up for debate, and anyone with their, worth their salt would not condone it. Um, and being, that, being this, that it's four years ago, they've duly suspended him. I hope they don't suspend him for too long. He's actually, uh, he's actually come out on Twitter. And put on YouTube an, an apology as well, uh, apologising to everybody, apologising to Sasha Banks as well. And uh, Sasha's actually put a statement out too, saying that the two have spoken, and um, and she's uh, she's talked to him about uh, about such things, such statements, and they've both learned a lesson. I think this sort of thing you should just do that and kind of move on without having it linger on for too yeah. long. Not that yeah. we want to sweep. Carpet, but um, they did all the right things. They made all the right moves. Everyone, know, everyone knows it was abhorrent, but uh, you just got to keep it moving. Yeah, and just to wind up, I think we need to remember too. At the time, um, Sammy was probably barely in, in 
an indie wrestler back then. It's not like he had the profile he has now. So maybe his profile's bitten him on the, the you know what. Anyway, we'll move on to the next um, exciting part of our podcast, which is a new segment that we're going to call Straight Down the Guts, where we fire up some questions that our people that follow us on social media put out there. So what I'll do, I will pretty much fire these questions at both Jez and Aaron and in no particular order. So listen for your name because I might rotate it a bit. Um, but the other thing is, if I think you're banging on too much because it's straight down the guts and we're not going around the flanks, I'll be going ding, ding, ding on the bell, which means you've got about two sentences and you're done and then the next guy answers, okay? Just to keep Roger. it in line, guys. All right, so first of all, our first question comes from Josh Button, who um, has the tag at Pies Josh. I think it's correct on Twitter, yes. Um, Woody's given me there, yes, that's right. And the, he's asked a question, <clears throat> and I'll throw this to Woody first. Quality of AFL, EPL on return. Has it been a good standard and why? Or if it hasn't been, why? Fire away. Well, as we alluded to earlier, when we're talking about the AFL, the quality's been poor overall. I put that down to the lack of being able to train in groups and whatever. So I think the quality of the AFL is probably going to stay substandard, given that they can only train in small groups at the moment as well. So I can't see it really getting back to its peak. The EPL, I reckon, give it three weeks and I reckon they're going to be back and firing again. They'll get their continuity back. They'll start to gel and we'll start to see a really high standard of football. All right. Jez, can you answer those two questions? Um, I'm sitting on another fence. So I don't think the standard of AFL as a spectacle is great to begin with. So add to that the fact that they've been have been away for about twelve weeks or so uh, makes it even more abhorrent to be to be honest. Um, you've got coaches terrified of losing, so they're not trying to win. Uh, there's a lot of congestion around the ball. Uh, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of tackling, a lot of numbers at the contest. It just really makes for an ugly spectacle, um, which is why you've seen scores of five goals each in a game. Uh, club scoring single digits up to half time X and um, to be I look to be quite honest I haven't seen enough of the EPL to comment either way but um, by, all, by all things shaking out that's actually shaking out more predictably than what the AFL is um, you, you, you look at look at a whole a whole lot more predictable results there but in, in terms of the quality I don't really have much to speak on that Alrighty then. All right, we'll move on to the next question. I'll throw this back to you, Jess, first of all. Um, we've had one from Michael Briffer, um, and he's asked a question. Hometown officiating. He's, he's um, asking, is it um, especially um, favourable to the home team in the NBA in particular? But, I mean, in general, you can answer it in general, but can you please have a focus on the NBA? Far away. Uh, it's not so. It's not so much hometown in the NBA. I think it's. I think it's superstars that get a lot of get get a lot of calls. Uh, unless you're Steph Curry, but uh, there's there are a lot of good players that uh, tend to go to the line, 
and uh, get just get the rub from the officials because of who they are. And I think the refs know who they are, and I think they just give that give that call subconsciously because of who they are. Fair call, Aaron. Um, I think I tend to agree with Jez. It's a superstar league, um, and for whatever reason, the officials tend to favour the superstars and the big names. You look at James Harden getting 36 free throws a game or whatever it is that he does. Um, you flop around, you make enough noise and the referees seem to be giving him the, sending him to the foul line. Um, and I don't think it's really just with the home team stuff. I don't think it's just to the NBA. I think that's in most sports. Um, I think there's a bit of an intimidation factor with the crowds that um, tend to sway the officials. So it'll be interesting to see if that trend continues um, with no crowds and maybe the officials will um, call the game a bit more evenly. All right. We'll move on to the last question, which is from Eric Allen. And it's, a, it's M, MLB related, Major League Baseball. And on the return. Now, let's just firstly consider normal season is 162 games. They're now looking at playing 60 and being paid pro rata. Um, originally, the uh, Major League Baseball Association, or what do they call themselves in particular, were saying they wanted um, 80 to 90 games and they wanted to only pay 20% of the wage. Better make this quick, guys. Over to you, Aaron, first. Fire away. Um, I think 60 games paid pro rata is a no-brainer. Um, before, they wanted to pay them less money than they were worth. Um, reducing it to 60 games is good. I think that means most games actually have some sort of meaning for them. So if you can get on a good run, you put yourself right into the postseason mix. Hopefully for me, though, I don't, don't mind baseball, but the season drags on a lot. So hopefully they just reconsider how long the season is and if they can trim it back by 50 games a season, maybe to 110, 112, somewhere around there, probably bring more fans into the game. The big issue they're going to have on return, though, is once they get towards the back end of their season, the NBA playoffs will be in full swing and NFL and college football will be back as well. So I can't really see too many people being interested in baseball. All right, Jez, two sentences, um, thoughts. Um, I'm not going not gonna to touch on anything Aaron said there. I was just... Um, owners of sports teams, if you, want, if you want to buy a sports team and you want to make money, um, that's not going to happen. Uh, people, these big billionaires do not buy sports teams to make money. And uh, even though some do, some don't, but um, that's not the reason they buy sports teams in the first place. So uh, owners of any teams, particularly baseball, having a whinge about their money or something like that. Um, I think most of us just roll their eyes at it. And uh, that wasn't, that isn't the reason they got in in the first place. So they should, they should really, they should really lighten up there. And that's all I've got to say. Awesome. So we'll move on to our final section, which is the predictions by all of us. Now, I'll get Aaron to quickly run over our last predictions. Um, if you could look them up, Aaron, while we're speaking, or do you, have you got them close to your hand there? Awesome, he has. So can you let the audience know what we predicted previously? Um, well, none of them have 
really going to come to a fruition or really gauge at the moment because um, they're all future predictions. Anyway, so I went with the Browns making the NFL playoffs and Baker Mayfield throwing for 33 touchdowns. Jeremy went with an all-LA NBA finals um, if they don't go with the conference setup. I don't and think that's you, No, they might revert to the conference thing, I think, now. Um, and Tim was saying that Liverpool lose four games in the run home, but obviously still win the title, and United will take fourth spot. And United did win just the other day, so they're on the way up. All right, <clears throat> so predictions for this pod. Jeremy, what's your prediction? I I predict <clears throat> that... Um, Manchester City won't lose a game, another game for the rest of the EPL season, but they'll still lose a title. <laughs> okay. Okay. What about you, Woody? I'm going to go with a bit of a bias prediction here. I'm going to swing it over to the AFL. I'm going to go to Carlton, and I'm going to say that Jacob Weedering will be in the All-Australian team at the end of the year. Okay. Well, my prediction which I have not even thought about, so this is coming straight off the top of my head, will be that Essendon will be told they are not participating any further in the AFL due to the COVID-19 because they're pretty much, pretty much not going to be able to field a competitive team if um, the players that they're meant to miss, miss. Hence, to everyone out there, get on the Blues by over 30 points. Because I think no, they're playing Dyson Carlton this weekend. There you go. So if you ever want to make some money on the punt, not that we condone that, I would say a couple of dollars on Carlton to win by whatever margin you could imagine. I think in the short format, probably over 30 points would be a, or in that range would be a fair bet. What do you think, guys? Juicy. Yep, definitely. Oh, I'd, like to, I'd like to think you're right, but the Carlton fan in me knows a lot better. Yeah, but... Let's face it, you're playing, you're not even playing against what would have been their um, VFL side with the, with the outs. Like, I think, isn't their whole back line gone? Um, that was the rumour to start with, but they're actually only going to be missing two or three players. Hmm. Oh, I still say giddy up. Still say giddy up. All right, so I think that's brought us all to an end, and we're at that lovely time that our listeners look forward to us saying hooroo. So, just before we get going, I'd just like to plug a couple of people. One being our editor slash producer, Josh Joshua. Uh, he does a great job. He gets um, it done very, very well for us each time. And we'll be sending this off to him probably tonight. And the music that we use, which is Zaggy 2, which is um, an artist that um, Josh put us on to. So, it's going to be a goodbye from me. A goodbye Ed from Roo. Aaron. Yeah. And was that a goodbye from you, Jez, that I hear? Yep, who wrote? No worries. And, um, yeah, till next time. 